place it comfortably. So good evening everyone. Good evening everyone on Zoom. Uh, I'd just like to say a few brief words tonight about Zen and philosophy and uh, what they have in common is that they're both approaches or methods to try and understand what truth is. Um, and many, many people, particularly in the, in the Western tradition, um, have uh, quite sincerely um, tried to use their intellects, you know, and reflect very seriously on life and try to understand you know, very, very deep questions like how do we know what we know and what is the nature of existence and how do we know what is right or wrong or beautiful or ugly? What, how, do we, how do we kind of understand these things? Um, and, and philosophy is very much a, an intellectual kind of process um, which has its place. And, and as we all know, Zen is also an inquiry into what, what is actually, what, what is the truth of reality? What, um, what is it in itself rather than all of our projections onto it or um, false ideas about it? So one is, a, one is an intellectual process and one is a non-intellectual or non-conceptual kind of process. And they, they both do have their place. Um, but what tends to happen uh, in people's lives is that we, we read philosophy or we, we even read Buddhist um, books, you know, and we learn about the Four Noble Truths, right, for example. Or the eight this and the the eight the eight factors of enlightenment and things like that, and then these words, these strings of words, you know, that we read in the books, um, become explanations about life, you know, or explanations or pointers towards practice, and we read them, and and we all do this to one degree or another. Our ability to be hypnotised by these words is, is profound. <laughs> right? So we read that there's four noble truths, you know, and you hear the words truths, you know, four noble truths. So we think, all oh, right, um, that's, that's what Buddhism is about. But if we were true to the Heart Sutra, you know, which we recite over and over again in Zen, no, no, no four noble truths, no this, no that, no, no, no nothing, right? Um, it just cuts cuts through our desire to live in explanation. And if you live your life in explanation, whether it's profoundest Western philosophy or Buddhist philosophy or yoga or whatever, you're, there's a gap between you and life. It's like, it's like you've hypnotised yourself into thinking, oh, I've got, got a really good explanation now, so now I understand it. Right. Uh-huh. And all you're doing is living in your head. You're not living the, the, the raw momentary experience of what life is in this moment. And Zen is a practice that gets us to touch base non-conceptually with what life is. If you think you've got some conceptual understanding of Zen, that's fine. But don't ever um, think that that's an, an explanation 
um, he's going to get you anyway <laughs> in life, right? Uh-huh. But we, we all do fall into it um, many times over. And we fall also into um, scientific explanations of life and think, oh, yeah, now, now, we, now we know it. Right? And I'll give you a simple example. An apple drops off a tree onto the ground, you know, like Newton saw the apple drop off the tree. And, um, and he comes to this understanding of the law of gravity. The law of gravity um, doesn't cause the apple to fall off the tree. Right? The, the law of gravity is just a string of concepts, you know, that points to something in, in the world, right? Or some particular energetic force in the world. But the apple doesn't fall off the tree because of the cause of, because of the law of gravity, right? Um, it's like, you know, explain how the apple drops off the tree, right? That's all. It's just that ex- that experience of it happening, that movement of it happening. Um, but we all of the time, people now these days, because we we invest in science so much. Um, uh, that if we've got a scientific explanation, well, that, that's that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we live it, even in scientific explanations, even though they may be very useful and practical, they're, they're not they're not the lived experience of being a human being in an embodied here and now kind of way. Mm-hmm. And in the in the Zen tradition, you know, the koans touch on this, but there's one in particular which stands out which is uh, the name of the koan is um, uh, uh, Ryutan, renowned far and wide. And uh, in the story, which many of you may have heard before, um, Toksan is a highly intellectual, um, brilliant um, monk, um, Buddhist monk, and uh, he studied the, the, the sutras and he's got all these commentaries and analysed them, you know. So he's got very, very good intellectual skills and very good language skills. And he comes down to the south of China to, to um, kick the butts of these Zen people, you know, who, who've got this new practice that doesn't respect philosophy and he's going to put them in their place. And he comes to a tea house and... Um, and he goes in and, and asks to be um, uh, served tea to refresh himself. And the old lady, who's an old Zen nun from somewhere who set up a tea house along the side of the road, says the famous words, um, what have you got in that card over there? I said, oh, that's all my commentaries on the, on the Diamond Sutra. And she said, oh, that's very interesting. I heard in the Diamond Sutra, past nine cannot be grasped. Present mind cannot be grasped. Future mind cannot be grasped. With which mind are you going to drink your tea? And he couldn't answer. Mm-hmm. All of this intellectual, philosophical, scholarly understanding, and he was stumped. Mm-hmm. And uh, what a great teaching. Mm-hmm. What a wonderful teaching. And uh, as the Cohen goes on to say, and as the commentaries go on to say, well, he had at least the good character to actually ask the old woman, do you know a good Zen teacher around here? <laughs> she said, yeah, my old teacher's up on the hill there. You could go and visit him. And um, he goes up and he visits Ryutan, and Ryutan 
um, very patiently answers all of his questions and so on, intellectual discussion. And then at the end of the evening, uh, Ryutan says, well, it's dark now, you, you'll need a candle to find your way in the dark, which is a metaphor, right? you find a candle in the dark. And so he lights the candle and then when they go outside, Ryutan blows out the candle and, and Toksan breaks through all of that intellectual explanation at that point and has some kind of direct experience of life as it is. And um, as the koan goes on, um, the next day he got his, his, um, his uh, cart full of all of his writings and put it in the middle of the courtyard and burnt it all and walked away uh, and um, was liberated from them ever since <laughs> of all those explanations. Um, but it's a good story. And you may remember too, those of you who did the session, that um, I mentioned a similar story, which I hadn't heard before until I um, read um, uh, Ian McGilchrist's books. Um, St Thomas Aquinas, who was one of the greatest um, intellectual giants in, in, in Western philosophy, even though a religious man, wrote, wrote, wrote many, many different books on, on theology. And later in his life, I think late 60s or early 70s, um, he went to Mass one day in the church and he had some kind of mystical experience of, of God and um, he stopped writing ever from, from that point on. And he said to his, his personal assistant, um, everything I've written up until now is just rubbish. <laughs> and he said, but don't tell anyone that because um, you know, they, they need to hear the words to bring them you know, into, into, into Christian practice. Mm-hmm. And we need to hear the words too. We've all written, we've all read books which have brought us here. Um, but the, the real work is the, the non-conceptual meditative work of just seeing life without, without seeing it through these prism of, of concepts all the time. But it would be, um, it wouldn't be true to say that Zen is anti-intellectual by any means. And, um, you know, we can have that very direct, raw experience of reality but it's kind of fun to use language in your intellect to try and make sense of things and explore things. Um, and even Zen uses language. We use sutras and we make statements about reality. We use, we use words like emptiness and form, you know, to, to explain life. Well, that's rubbish as well. You know? They're just words. And if we, if we, convince ourselves, oh yeah, that's what life is about, emptiness and form. Now I understand it because I've got an explanation. No, it's, it's not the raw experience. We're so easily hypnotised. So, um, there's a time, there's, a, there's much of our life needs to be just the experience of things as they are, walking along the beach, looking at the clouds, feeling your feelings, um, interacting with other people, often in, without talking, you know, as well as talking. But to really, if you, if you live your life that way, then it's, it's a, 
rich life. Um, but to live in the explanations is kind of like a life of poverty, really.